Hello, gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers. Welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Hola, mis amigos y mis amigas. When I sat down to write this week's episode of The Healthy Garden Podcast, I thought back to last week and the seriousness of that show and wanted to move out of that heavy lifting social garden stuff and get more into that airy, light, happier realm of gardening. Our consciousness and the freedom that comes with exploring and roaming the tropical forest floor of our minds and our souls when it comes to the garden. I have broken the chains that held the gate locked for my spirit and wanted to share how I really see an important piece of my favorite hobby and lifestyle and how we can internalize the external in this episode, episode number 62, Super Conscious Gardening. Ah, just saying that makes me feel elevated, makes me feel lighter, I just lost five pounds saying it. I love thinking of gardening as an inside job, an internal compass that I can set and travel to that deep inner place where I get to exercise my free will and soul in that expansive growth in the soil, in among the plants, in the taste of that strawberry that Norma handed me during the harvest the other day. That state of consciousness means literally being awake and aware of one's surroundings or the awareness or perception of something by a person or the fact of awareness by the mind of itself and the world. This shows us that the act of being conscious is multidimensional, multi-layered and multi-intuitive. To me, It is ever-changing and ever-growing. Where we all started as gardeners has hopefully changed over the days, weeks, months, or years that we have been practicing the art of gardening or will hopefully change moving forward. I believe that it is so important for us gardeners to be conscious of what it is we're doing and why. Gardening is a powerful tool in understanding the world that we live in. I use gardening in so many of my metaphors as a writer and speaker because sowing, planting, tending, growing, and harvesting are all such key elements of not only our external world, but also our internal world. I love the concept of being awake. I am for sure one of those gardeners, farmers, landscapers that is a live wire when it comes to life. Pretty much everything for me and everything that I do in my life is with a sense of awakeness, that quality or state of being awake. I am not a sleeper. Oh, I sleep really well, seven to eight hours a night, but I am not a sleeper when it comes to my faith, my spirit, my soul, my purpose, being of service, my garden, or my quest. I am awake really awake. 
in and out in the garden. I love to sense it all. I love that same slow, deep breath and meditation. The inhale, the exhale. I love when the lines intersect and the internal becomes the external and vice versa. It is then we are awake and ready for super conscious gardening. Hey, gardeners, want to get conscious, more conscious? Then get a copy of my new book, 100 Years of Deception, Why Gardening Must Change on Amazon.com from Next Generation Publishing. It'll give you plenty of aha moments that you'll want to share with your friends and you can all elevate your garden consciousness to the next level. That's 100 Years of Deception, Why Gardening Must Change on Amazon.com from Next Generation Publishing. We can check ourselves anytime we want to see how conscious or unconscious we are regarding our gardens. In fact, regarding anything. It's probably a good thing to do every once in a while. Check in with ourselves and ask the questions that need asking. Run a quick accounting on the good and bad of our gardening habits, methods, products we're using, etc., It's also good to see if we are achieving the goals that we have set for ourselves in the garden. Are we growing inside as people in our garden? Are we opening up to the new and exciting world of the soil, the biology? Or are we being lazy and stuck in a rut doing the same thing day after day, month after month, year after year? Have we become that gardener that says to ourselves, It's too hard to change. I like everything that my original garden teacher taught me. I'm okay using the same old products and techniques that I've always used. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That quick inventory tells a lot about how conscious or unconscious we are. It's really a matter of honesty, inner honesty. And that, my friends, is often way easier to say than do. Real, open, honest, internal assessment often comes at a price. Sometimes we have to see that we have been slugs. We all, 
well, most of us hate slugs in the garden. After all, they are gross. They carry a host of parasites and give, can give our dogs lungworm. They also destroy our plants and seem to be impossible to get rid of. Did you know that it takes a slug two years to become a mature adult? I'm not a big fan of slugs, but they are decomposers in the soil world that break down plant material for the microbes and soil animals, and they are really good eating if you're a bird. But I was referring to the slow, lazy human as a sluggard. How's that for a word? Are you a sluggard? Are you habitually a lazy person as defined by the Miriams and the Webster's? Why didn't any 60s band grab that name? It was so ripe for the taking. I can just hear Ed Sullivan calling it out now. Ladies and gentlemen, let's have a really nice hand for that new musical sensation, The Sluggards. This imaginary band could have brought us hits like, I Don't Want to Change. Work is hard, and their time-cherished classic, Why Should I Even Try? (laughs) I think we should all look at why we even got into gardening in the first place. We're going to get into the personal reasons and benefits from some recent studies in the next segment, plus my take on their take, but right now, I want to look at man's connection to the garden. Let's take a little historical walk down memory lane. I'm setting the Wayback Machine for ancient Egypt. In ancient Egypt, people of means, that means people that had a little cash, loved to rest and hang out under tree shade. They built walled gardens and started planting trees in rows. They grew pomegranate, willow, sycamore, figs, and date palms. They also grew olive trees to create olive oil and grew vineyards for their wine. In ancient Egypt, they believed that the gods liked gardens, which is why many temples had them. These gardens also provided food for sustenance and flowers and rectangular ponds for the aesthetic. Some of their favorite flowers were roses, irises, poppies, and daisies. Next, we're off to Babylon in 612 BC and one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. These were created by King Nebuchadnezzar for his wife who missed the mountains near her homeland. So the king built a stepped terrace garden. It was ingenious and even had man-powered pumps to water it. The Babylonian Empire was destroyed in 539 B.C. by the Persians. The Persians loved to garden and built underground aqueducts to bridge water to them. They grew fruit from fruit trees and lots of fragrant shrubs and flowers. The Persian gardens also contained many landscape or garden elements like pools, fountains, and water courses and rills. Our next ancients on this not Rick Stubbs travel adventure is ancient Greece. 
the Greeks were not as enamored with gardening as the Egyptians or Persians. They were into container flower gardening and used trees as architectural elements to shade their temples. When it came to gardening, the Greeks were more practical and spent the energy on vegetables, orchards, and vines. Gardening got a big jump start with the Romans when they conquered Egypt in 30 BC. They were very much the visuals and built lavish gardens next to their palaces and villas. It was the Romans who brought the world the art of topiary that filled their hedged gardens with statuary, sculptures, and lots of flowers, including cornflowers, crocus, cyclamen, hyacinth, iris, ivy, lavender, myrtle, lilies, narcissus, poppy, rosemary, and violets. Wealthy Romans built houses around lavish courtyards with colonnaded porches, pools, and fountains that were surrounded by beds of flowers. The gardening aesthetic was even more personalized and expanded during the Roman era. In Britannia, they even expended the reach of gardening all the way to the island and of that territory. And in terms of many plant species that we still love today, roses, leeks, turnips, plums, cabbages. This pops us next to the fall of gardening when the Roman Empire fell. To say gardening, as well as civilization, took a downward turn would be an understatement. It was a much smaller scale survivalist time for the world of gardening in Europe when they entered that post-Roman era. And most of the gardens centered around the churches and had small gardens of medicinal herbs and flowers for the altars. Meanwhile, in the 7th century, though, the Arabs adopted many of the Persian ideas about gardens. Often, Islamic gardens were surrounded by walls that had watercourses or streams that divided the garden up into quadrants or sections of four with a pool in the center. The Arab gardens also had small streams known as rills with fountains of mosaics and glazed tiles. They planted rows of cypress and trees to shade and grow around their walled gardens and lots and lots of fruit trees. In the early 8th century, the Arab Moors conquered Spain. They added a whole new mix to our gardening palette by growing ash, laurel, hazel, walnut, poplar, willow, and citrus trees like orange and lemon, plus other fruits like dates, figs, almonds, apricots, apples, pears, plums, and peaches. To close out this way back adventure in gardening, we're going to the medieval times. Not the Can't Be Ten show, but the actual gardening in medieval times. By the late 13th century, Europe started to get on its feet again, and the gentry and the royal class began to grow pleasure gardens again. They also grew medicinal gardens and vegetables. By the 14th and 15th centuries, we began to see gardens with lawns that were sprinkled with large, fragrant herbs, raised flower beds, trellises of roses and vines that also contained many fruit trees. 
We're going to cut it off there because now we're back in 2023. And I'm glad we took that little tour. I have added lots of those pieces of history to my own gardens, farms, and landscapes. I'm sure that you have too. I'm also sure that many of you have looked at and studied some of the ancient gardens and looked at the design, the style, what they brought. The ancient gardeners were conscious of their time, what they needed to survive, and what brought them pleasure in the garden. In a lot of ways, they were super conscious. And that is what we're bringing home to our gardens next in the next segment of Super Conscious Gardening. Hi gardeners, when I hear super conscious gardening, I immediately think of when I used to water my raised beds every day, or every other day, not even thinking of whether they needed it. I just wanted to go to my community garden and have a great time. Little did I know that I was creating a big anaerobic mess below my soil after getting my soil tested. Get Randy's book, A Hundred Years of Deception, and get more conscious today. Earlier, I was talking about being alive, being awake, and how that plays into the consciousness of our lives and our gardens. We all got into gardening for one reason or another. I got into it because I was inspired by growing Jersey tomatoes with my grandmother, Grammy, who was also the first person I ever saw use aged dairy cow manure in water to water her tomatoes. Next, It was the clay pot container roses that were all over our landscape in the backyard I grew up in. My mom put me in charge of taking care of them. And it was my love of those roses that really inspired me. And the last thing that really, really, really 
made me love gardening was my love of landscape architecture. And I got that from Sid Galper, Russ Reed, and Dennis Turner. I was hooked by them on function, design, and also always the great tasting Jersey tomatoes and the beautiful prolific roses of my home garden when I was a kid. I know that all of you have your reasons as well. Maybe you were at a garden show. Maybe somebody in your family had a great garden and that inspired you to become a gardener. Maybe you wanted to grow food. There are many reasons out there, as many reasons as there are gardeners. I get it because I'm one of you. I was checking out why people garden or good reasons or recommendations from some health experts and university experts about why people should garden. And here's what I came up with. First, we're going to dig into the benefits of gardening with the Mayo Clinic. Author Laura Wimmer starts us off with this gardening explosion. Growing your own food in a garden isn't a new idea. It was a critical way for ancient people, aha, to have access to reliable, nutritious food. The necessity of vegetable gardens has varied through time. Gardening has gained popularity recently, even with easy and inexpensive access to food at grocery stores. A study found that interest in gardening increased during the COVID-19 pandemic. People spent more time at home and turned to their gardens for a connection to nature, stress relief, and food provisions. She then gives us this hit list that seems to be on the talking points of every single gardening article that I looked at. Why people garden. One, increased exercise. Da-da! Two, improved diet. Hmm. Three, time in nature. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Four, reduced stress level. <sighs> and five, social connection. Wimmer finished up this mind-numbing expose with her tips on starting a garden. Start small. It's very easy to get excited and want a large plot with many plants. Don't take on more than you can handle because that could cause more stress. Oh, no. The larger the garden, the more work it is. It can quickly overwhelm you if you don't have enough resources or time to care for it. You can always increase the size of your garden in the future. Her second thought is build a network. Find other people who are interested in gardening. Learn from each other's successes and failures. And her third point was research appropriate plants. Find plants that grow well in your climate or hardiness zone. I agree with that. Talk with local master gardeners, uh-oh, or county agricultural resources to get tips on what plants thrive in your area. This will improve your chances of success and lower the stress and potential disappointment. Talk about disappointment. That's the best the Mayo Clinic has to offer. <sighs> well, next, I got... These gems out of the UC Boulder today from January 5th. The scientific reasons you should resolve to start gardening. 
This was back in 2023 by Lisa Marshall. She starts off the article with the old New Year's resolutions college try. Gardening is good. Get more exercise. Eat right. Make new friends. She quickly moves her article to a UCB study done by Professor Jill Litt, who is also a researcher for the Barcelona Institute for Global Health. Uh So Big Med and Big Ed team up to solve this age-old question of, is gardening good for us? They also brought in big research as the American Cancer Society funded the first ever randomized, controlled trial of community gardening and found that those who started gardening ate more fiber and got more physical activity. Two ways to reduce the risk of cancer and chronic disease. Also, that stress and anxiety were significantly decreased with those who participated. Lit, who has been seeking to identify affordable, scalable, and sustainable ways to reduce disease risk, especially among low-income communities, said, the findings provide concrete evidence that community gardening could play an important role in preventing cancer, chronic disease, and mental health disorders. Without evidence... It's hard to get support for new programs. So you guys know translation? That means it's hard to get money from big money without these tests. 291 non-gardening adults from Denver, one-third Hispanic and half from low-income households, received a free community garden plot, some seeds, seedlings, and an introductory gardening course through the nonprofit Denver Urban Gardens Program. By the fall, the group was eating, on average, 1.4 grams more fiber per day and increased their physical activity levels by about 42 minutes per week. Participants saw their stress and anxiety levels decreased. The study results didn't surprise the executive director of the Denver Urban Gardens Program, a nonprofit that helps about 18,000 people a year grow their own food in community garden plots. It's transformational, even life-saving for so many people, the director said. Professor Litt added, it's not just about fruits and vegetables. It's also about being in a natural space outdoors together with others. Gardening works. Litt hopes the findings will encourage health professionals, policymakers, and land planners to look at community gardens and other spaces that encourage people to come together in nature, as a vital part of the public health system. Come together. Isn't that all wonderful? Let's give them a big hand for such exceptional work. I don't mean to sound like a wet blanket, but do we really need that article from the Mayo Clinic or a study funded by the Cancer Society in Denver to tell us that gardening is good? We all know it is. And yes, for all of the Captain Obvious reasons that were stated in both of those articles, my problem, as it always is, is what are they growing? What are they growing in? 
And are they using any pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides? They don't give us any of that stuff because they are part of the system of big chem and big ag that is tied at the hip with big med, big ed, big pharma, and big money. They also didn't get into the UC Boulder deal or the Mayo deal of if they're growing organic, real organic, natural and healthy gardens. Sure, let's let the poor eat poison. What a Moderna Marie Antoinette statement to make. But true, because none of the bigs want people to be healthy or get healthy. They want you to get sick, stay sick, and be sick. It's all fake nonsense. It's unconscious. But in reality, it is a very conscious and concentrated effort to keep people eating toxic food and gardening and growing with toxic products that are poison. I had to laugh in that first article about creating a garden. And I quote, talk with local master gardeners or county agricultural resource offices. Those are the last people any of us gardeners want to talk to. They're a huge part of the problem in gardening and growing food. I am dumbfounded that this day and age, people go to the store and buy stuff in the vegetable and fruit aisle that's sprayed with pesticides. And then they go out to fast death to eat meat from Big Ag and vegetables from Big Ag in their fast food diets. Really? Don't you see this is the perfect example of what we keep telling you every week on the Healthy Garden Podcast? We have got to get past the 1980s mentality of gardening and bring it into the future. We need every gardener to put down the poison and stop buying crummy soils and amendments that come from the animal killing machine of Big Ag. If you want to bring your garden into a level of higher consciousness, then go out and flip over a bag of your favorite potting soil. Does it have chicken manure, dried poultry manure, or hydrolyzed chicken manure in it? Does it have green waste compost in it? Where did the chicken manure come from? Where did the green waste come from? Have you used bone meal, blood meal, or feather meal in your garden? Why? And where did that come from? It came from the unconscious animal slaughter from conventional ag. Have you used any pesticides or herbicides at all? Or brought in garbage compost from the city dump that's filled with toxic residue? Did you get a dump? These are the unconscious decisions that gardeners, even in quote, organic gardeners, make every day in their sacred spaces. You can't keep doing it if you are going to be a conscious gardener. We have to think through the drink, folks. What is the long-term health and environmental effect? The real one, not the fake Mayo Clinic one or the fake UC Boulder version. The real one. Consciousness. That's it. That's the truth, gang. Then and only then will we be practicing super conscious gardening. 
That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true, organic, and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening. Thank you.